We've just heard read John's account of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. You heard how Jesus was beaten and mocked. How he was condemned publicly as a blasphemer and a fraud. How he was stripped naked and put to death by hanging on a cross. It's Jesus' enemies who do this to him, right? There are the Jewish religious leaders who've been conspiring to kill Jesus for some time now. They hate Jesus because he claims to be the Son of God and says that the only way for anyone to come to God is through him. Then there's the Roman governor, Pilate, who senses that Jesus is innocent, but ultimately cares less about who Jesus is than about keeping the peace in his province. And there are the soldiers, foreigners from some other part of the Roman Empire, for whom this crucifixion is just another day at work. And the idea that Jesus could be some kind of a king is just a dumb joke. The chief priests, the governor, the soldiers, some of them hate Jesus, some of them are merely indifferent to him. But they come together against him, each group playing its own part. The chief priests condemn him, the governor sentences him to crucifixion, and the soldiers carry out that sentence. At first glance, then, it looks like Jesus' enemies are in control of the course of events here. They have the fate of Jesus in their hands. They decide what's going to happen to him. It looks that way, but bizarrely, Jesus himself takes a different view. Earlier in John's Gospel, anticipating what will happen to him, Jesus tells his listeners... No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In Jesus' view, then, the crucifixion is not something that is just happening to him, something his enemies are doing to him, No, it's something he is doing, something he himself is undertaking for a purpose. If my enemies ever tried to arrest me on a false charge and have me condemned to death, I think I would do everything I could to resist that fate. I would try to cut a deal with the prosecutor. I would plead tearfully with the judge. I would struggle with the executioners. I would call out to bystanders for help. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Though he is innocent, perfectly innocent, more innocent than anyone ever has been, he doesn't try to defend himself. Though he, the true Son of God, could call down a whole army of angels to rescue him, he doesn't. He lets his enemies do to him the evil thing 
that they have purposed to do. Why? It's not that Jesus doesn't care about what's happening to him. It's not that he's supernaturally immune to fear or pain or distress. Not at all. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus is in this moment in intense emotional distress. On the night of his arrest, as Jesus was waiting for what would come, he told his disciples he was sorrowful to the point of death. So distressed he felt like he would die. His anxiety was so intense that he even began to sweat blood. Jesus is deeply distressed by what's going on. He feels it all. His suffering is real. But in the midst of all this suffering, he remains laser-focused on the charge that he has received from his Father, on the divine mission he has come to carry out. In the midst of mental and physical suffering more intense than anything we can imagine, Jesus doesn't flinch or beg or try to escape. He presses on to lay down his life on purpose so that he can accomplish the will of the Father. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, John, the gospel writer, tells us. In fact, as he tells us the story of Jesus' crucifixion, John repeatedly pauses to point out to us the fulfillment of scripture. When the soldiers have finished nailing Jesus to the cross, they divide his clothes between them, and they roll dice to see who will get to keep his nice tunic. And this was to fulfill the scripture, John tells us. The scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. John is quoting there from Psalm 22, the same psalm, a portion of which we read earlier today. This psalm is written from the perspective of someone who is suffering intense hostility. He's surrounded by his evil enemies, and they're doing things to him like stealing his clothes. This innocent sufferer calls out to God, asking, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet... If we read on in the psalm, we see that at the same time, this speaker trusts in God to save him. He even confidently predicts that God will save him in such an amazing way that all the nations of the world will worship. When John tells us that Jesus is fulfilling scripture here, his point isn't only that one detail of Psalm 22 matches something happening in the crucifixion. He's saying much more than that. He's pointing to the whole story of Psalm 22, the story of an innocent sufferer rejected by humanity, seemingly forsaken by God, but ultimately vindicated by God in a way that brings faith 
to the whole world. When Jesus fulfills the part of this psalm about his enemies dividing his garments, it's a sign that this whole story is now coming true. That the story of this psalm is being fulfilled in its entirety by Jesus on the cross. A little later in our text, Jesus tells the soldiers that he's thirsty. And they give him sour wine to drink. Fulfilling, John tells us, something written in Psalm 69. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. After Jesus dies, the soldiers can see that he's dead, and so they don't break his legs. Fulfilling something written in Psalm 34. Not one of his bones will be broken. Instead, one of the soldiers confirms that Jesus is dead by piercing him in the side. Fulfilling something written in the book of the prophet Zechariah, chapter 12. They will look on him whom they have pierced. Again and again, each of these Old Testament texts that John draws our attention to tells the story of a righteous person who is cruelly crushed by his enemies, but who keeps his trust completely in the Lord, and whom the Lord uses to bring salvation to others. What's amazing here is not just that God predicted so many details of Jesus' death in texts written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. That is amazing. But there's something even more amazing here, something life-changing. And that is the truth that by giving up his life on the cross, Jesus fulfills God's whole plan of salvation. The plan that God made to save us before the foundation of the world. In Jesus, all the promises that God makes in Scripture come true. Not just a handful of passages from the Psalms and in Zechariah, but all the promises God makes in the whole of the Bible. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, adoption as God's own beloved children, and everlasting life with Him in His perfect kingdom. Everything that God promises his people in scripture, Jesus fulfills by his sacrifice of himself upon the cross. Jesus' death then is not just some unfortunate tragedy. It's not just one more sad story in the sad history of this world. No, Jesus' death by crucifixion was his purposeful act by which he fulfilled the promises and the plans of God for our salvation. For our salvation. Dear brothers and sisters, let us never take for granted the salvation that Jesus won for us. Remember that none of these rich blessings that we have received from God was ours by right. None of what we've been given did we either earn or deserve. 
Remember who we are in this story. In John's account of Jesus' crucifixion, we are represented by the enemies of Jesus. The chief priests, Pilate, the soldiers. People from every nation of humankind, Jew and Gentile, who have this one thing in common. That they reject God. The Bible, those same scriptures that Jesus came to fulfill, tells us this hard truth about ourselves. That this is who we are. People who have rejected God. Who every day in our thoughts, words, and deeds choose our own way over God's way. The Lord God Almighty created us in his image to be the special object of his love, endowing us with greater gifts than any other creature in the whole universe. But every gift he gave us, we twisted against him and against each other. Instead of returning his love and imitating it, we ignored our creator and turned from his ways. We became people whose whole being was bent towards satisfying ourselves rather than towards loving God and our neighbor. We became people whose hearts are so corrupted by sin that we can feel nothing but hatred or cool indifference toward the God who loves us so deeply. Are we shocked when we read the Gospels by how the chief priests and the scribes hated Jesus? Hated him so much that they wanted to kill him? Does that shock us? But the truth is that all of us sinners have that same impulse in our hearts. When God, who is perfect goodness and love, speaks to us, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to be told what to do, or how to live, or even how to be forgiven. Instead, we do everything we can to shut out God's voice. That's what we want, most of all. Or are we shocked that Pilate, who seems almost to understand who Jesus is, to perceive Jesus' innocence, and even to sense something of Jesus' majesty? Are we shocked that in the end, Pilate delivers him up to crucifixion with a shrug? But the truth is, we're the same way. We have some idea of who God is, of his perfect goodness, of his perfect right to govern us as Lord. We're intrigued by God to a point And if we could only find a way to include him in our self-centered worldview, then maybe we'd be interested. But the moment God's lordship seems to threaten the order of our little world, the moment we begin to understand that loving God will mean entering into conflict with the masters of this world, then forget it. Like Pilate, we prefer to go with the flow. Brothers and sisters, that's who we are. We shouldn't think that it was only the Jews or the Romans 
who killed Jesus. We should understand that it was us, all of us sinners, who rejected our Savior and put him to death. That's the extent of our sin, of the sin that separated us from God's blessings in the first place. But it was this very sin, this ultimate opposition and rejection of God, that Jesus took upon himself at the cross. The innocent one receiving in himself the punishment and the condemnation that we, his killers, deserved. And giving us in exchange the gifts of God's love that he alone, the obedient son, deserved. It is finished, Jesus cried out with his last breath. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He had suffered the full penalty of our sin. And so he had fulfilled the whole plan of God for our salvation. In his infinite love, he gave everything he had to win for us the wholly undeserved gift of salvation. To him be all blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.